Alright guys, welcome to the show. It's good to be with you as always and um, this is a video podcast so if you're listening to this podcast, go ahead and go to my YouTube channel and check this video out. Uh, you can just search my name, Hunter McWaters, and you can watch this podcast as well as a bunch of other stuff and my Kodiak Films, my first hunt film series is going to be releasing mid-February so be on the lookout for that and please subscribe to the YouTube channel. I really appreciate it. Um, so today I just wanted to go through, I just got back from this trip to Arizona and I was um, <clears throat> being a little bit secretive about who I was going with and what I was doing um, just because I don't really like to talk about things before they kind of come to fruition. So I wanted to shed a little light on that and kind of give you guys some exciting announcements of kind of what's coming down the pipeline for me and for the Hunter's Quest and I'm really excited to share this stuff with you guys and I wanted to just go through all the stuff I learned out there in Arizona on this archery, coos, and mule deer hunt and um, and share some gear stuff with you guys and just just kind of go through a recap of the hunt. So um, so to start things off, um, I actually went down there to meet up with the guys from Gritty. So if you're familiar with Gritty, Brian Call, he's been a guest on here before. If you're watching this and you're in the hunting outdoor space, you probably are familiar with Brian and his work. Um, so I actually went down to meet up with Brad Hunt, which is... Brian's um, kind of uh, one of his partners and he does a lot of the camera work for Brian and stuff like that and uh, he actually just came on to Gritty full time so um, so uh, and actually Ryan Lampers was supposed to be there but um, he was having some family stuff going on I think somebody had had was sick or something so they didn't actually make it but I went down to meet up with Brian and Brad and do some hunting do some filming and kind of just do some work together um, to see, you know, if we got how we got along, you know, if we could work together and more in the future. Um, so, I do want to share with you guys a little bit about that. Um, and uh, so, you know, I don't really like, like I said, I don't like to talk about things too much before they actually come to fruition. So, um, you know, nothing is set in stone, nothing is signed on paper, nothing like that. Um, but I did have a great time hunting with those guys and learned a lot from them and we got along really well and had a good time together. So um, it looks like uh, I'm going to be teaming up more in the future with Gritty and with Brian Call and and what that'll look like is, um, the way we discussed it anyway, was me kind of being a video contributor to the Gritty channel. Um, and so, you know, that way I'll kind of have my own autonomy and I can still kind of produce content the way I want um, and and continue to build the Hunter's Quest and my YouTube, YouTube channel and my podcast and stuff like that, but also contribute some content on Brian's channel that will help him get some more high quality content as well as helping me to get more exposure to his audience, um, you know, some of his um, industry contacts and stuff like that. So I think it's going to be really mutually beneficial for, for me and Brian and Gritty. And um, I really am looking forward to working with those guys more. I'm looking forward to helping grow Gritty as a brand. Um, if you're not subscribed, you should definitely check out their YouTube channel, Gritty. Um, some amazing content. I've actually learned a ton from Brian. Um, and, uh, you know, I did a podcast with him a few months back. Definitely go back and check that out if you haven't. Um, so anyway, I'm looking forward to working with these guys more. I'm looking forward to contributing some content to the channel, helping to grow Gritty as a brand, and also continuing to grow the Hunter's Quest. So... If you've been a long-time listener or, you know, even if you're just starting out, I really appreciate your support. I'm excited for all the things in the future uh, with the Hunter's Quest. And, you know, also I want to say with that too is 
Um, I've really been blessed. Um, I don't want to go into a whole bunch of details, but um, I'm actually going to be able to go into this media, the Hunter's Quest uh, project full time this year in 2022. I'm really excited to announce that. I've been kind of hinting at it a little bit here and there, but um, it's official now. I did leave my job um, and I am full time at the Hunter's Quest, which is amazing. Again, thank you so much for your support. And I just, I'm really going to need you guys full on support, you know, going forward. Um, you know, especially as I start rolling stuff out on YouTube and continuing the podcast. Um, so right now I have, I believe five, possibly six, but five kind of big out of state Western hunts and film, um, projects planned for this year. So it's going to be a doozy physically. It's going to be, you know, tough on my family. It's going to be, um, but you know, I'm not complaining. Um, it's a dream come true. Uh, it's completely amazing. And I'm, I, like I said, I'm so blessed to have this opportunity, but you know, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's gonna be challenging at the same time. So Please continue uh, supporting me through, you know, leaving me ratings and reviews, subscribing, sharing with your friends, talking about the show, talking about the YouTube channel. But keeping your prayers, uh, I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need prayer support. Um, you know, I love those encouraging messages when folks reach out to me. So keep those coming. Keep me in your prayers. Um, I really want to continue to produce excellent outdoor content, and and also bring in, you know, the spiritual side of things into my conversations with my guests. Um, and, and into the films as well. So thank you for your support. Again, I'm really excited about announcing that. And, you know, like I said, uh, I'm somewhat hesitant to even mention the partnership with Gritty, um, not because I'm not excited about it, because I'm very excited about it, but I just, I don't really like to, you know, talk about things before they happen or, you know, count your chickens before they hatch or whatever you want to say. Um, but it looks like I will be doing some form of collaboration um, with Gritty in the future, and I'm excited about that, and however that looks, um, I'm excited about it, so, but, you know, um, man plans his steps, but the Lord directs his path, so whether or not that happens, it really doesn't matter, because I'm going full, full send on the Hunter's Quest, full send with the production this year, continuing the podcast, continuing to put out, um, more great films, so stay tuned, and, and appreciate y'all's support, so anyway, Enough of that, um, you know, I do want to recap this hunt I did with Brian and Brad. It was, um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen their content from Arizona. Um, it's an over-the-counter, oh, excuse me, it's an over-the-counter archery hunt. Um, and it's, you know, coos deer or mule deer. It's, it's a $300 tag that's good for either species of deer, any antler buck. Um, so I just kind of want to go through the trip with you guys and, you know, what I learned through the experience and, um, like I said, some gear stuff and whatnot. So, um, the first thing I want to mention, you know, I flew down there, you know, I'm on the East coast, so I don't have the luxury of driving a rig down there with all my camping gear. So of course I had to fly with my bow, camera gear and camping gear. So as you can imagine, that was not cheap. Um, I had to rent a vehicle. So my first kind of note, do not rent vehicles through Priceline, okay? Um, I should have known this, but I didn't read the fine print, and apparently, if you book a vehicle through Priceline, uh, it's non-refundable, you can't change it. Even if you get sick or whatever, it doesn't matter. Like, you're locked in no matter what, and they're really rigid. So, um, I mean, I called customer service on both ends. Anyway, 
I had to shift my hunt a few days um, due to some circumstances out of my control. And I basically had to eat a 10-day car rental fee, which is not cheap, um, because they wouldn't change reservation or cancel it or refund me or anything. So don't rent a vehicle through Priceline. Call the um, rental company directly. Um, I used Alamo. They were pretty good. They upgraded me to a nice Dodge Ram with four-wheel drive. It was, it was nice. So um, the other thing is, you know, <clears throat> if you have to fly, pack as much food as you can. Um, I kind of wanted to be, you know, I didn't know these guys very well going in, so I didn't want to be kind of relying on them. So I, I planned to fly in, you know, with a half day to go to Walmart to provision, um, but I packed as much food as I could um, to save money. And, um, you know, I wanted to be um, completely kind of self-contained. I didn't really want to have to rely on them for any, for much of anything because, you know, you want to be a good guest. Anytime you're, you know, invited on a hunt, whether it's a, whatever it is, if you're invited on a hunt, you want to show up prepared, you want to be a good guest. That's something my dad taught me. Um, shout out to my dad. He always, you know, taught me how to be a really good, gracious guest when you're in somebody else's camp. And you don't want to be the guy that shows up with not having stuff and needing to borrow stuff and you know, asking people for rides to the grocery. You don't want to be that guy. So, you know, be as prepared as you can and, and also plan some time to provision if you need so. Um, let's see. Oh, so normally, here's another travel note. Normally I stand directly below where the luggage is dropped onto the conveyor belt. On my, you know, I'm picking up my baggage at the airport. Um, this time I was like, oh, I'm going to go over there where I stand where I normally do. But I decided I'm going to stand over on the other side because that's where the airline was going to bring my bow case out because I also had a firearm in there. So anyway, I was like, yeah, you know, I normally stand over there. It'll be fine. I'll just wait for it to come around. And actually, I look over. I see my Pelican case full of all my camera gear come down the conveyor belt and hit the thing. I was like, okay, great. There it is. I just... But it started taking a little longer than I expected. And I was like, what's going on? So um, then I saw it come around. Pulled it off, you know, big black Pelican case, but something didn't seem right. The locks weren't on it. I opened up somebody else's Pelican case. Same case, full of a bunch of computer stuff. So basically what happened is someone took my Pelican case, which, you know, situational awareness, like, look at the bags you're picking up, make sure it's yours. Uh, of course, they weren't answering their phone. You know, the airline couldn't track them down. They ended up driving, you know, long story short, but I had to spend the whole first day without any of my clothing. Luckily, and this is another note, make sure you pack, you know, your essentials, at least for a 24-hour period, in your carry-ons. So thank the Lord, I had one camera, and I had my puffies in my carry-on, which, if I didn't have that stuff, I would have been cameraless and freezing. Um, thank the Lord, I did have the wherewithal to put my puffies and uh, one camera set up into my carry-on. So, but all that to say, um, you know, just keep a close eye on your stuff. Make sure you're grabbing the right stuff, um, and uh, and and keep your essentials in your carry-on. I, I probably in the future, if I can, will move to carry-on, carrying on all my camera stuff. So anyway, um, let's see. I mentioned that. Um, you know, it was cool. I was in camp with Brian. Brought his whole family down, so his his parents were there. Awesome people. Um, his sisters, his wife, his kids, uh, and Brad were all there. 
And um, there's supposed to be some other kind of industry guys in the camp too, but with this Omicron thing, different people had to cancel and stuff like that. So, But actually it was really good because I got a chance to really get to know Brian and Brad pretty well. So I think that was the Lord kind of orchestrating that. Um, but anyway, I just want to say, again, you know, make sure you show up to camp with everything you need um, and be self-contained. That's a good note. And um, I do just want to say thanks, you know, to his family. They were great hosts and they made dinner for us a couple nights and um, really great people. So I, I enjoyed hanging out with them. And so anyway, moving into kind of the day-to-day -day stuff, um, you know, hold on a second. Um, so this is a... This is a really tough hunt, guys. You know, um, I, I knew it was going to be tough. I mean, I think stalking into bow range of any animal is pretty tough. But, you know, you hear stories about coos deer being all, you know, very cagey and very whatever. It is true. These things are the most, I mean, granted, southeastern whitetails are also extremely cagey. You know, I'd put them in a similar class, to be honest, although I think, to tell you the truth, I think the coos deer might be a little more cagey. Like, they, if they hear or see or smell anything, there's no second chance, no hesitation, no, they're gone. I mean, just gone. Especially big ones and the does, I mean, they're, they're very, they're very uh, keyed in. So, it is a tough hunt, guys. Um, you know, the areas we were in, the coos deer were less pressured than the mule deer um you know you always hear you find kind of the mule deer more in the flats type areas and the coos deer a little more in the elevation and the okatia and stuff like that and, and we found that to be true um but you know during the weekend especially when there's more pressure and in general the mule deer seem to be hunted harder and by more guys and that makes sense because they're easier to kill they're bigger and honestly you know i wanted to kill a mule deer when we were down there so um so just keep that in mind. Um, it's a tough hunt. I'm not discouraging you from going out there and trying it. It's a fun hunt, um, but it is very challenging. So just don't have any misconceptions about that. It's uh, it's very tough hunt. Um, but anyway, day one, you know, we kind of got out there. Um, we set up. We glassed. We saw a pretty decent coos deer, um, and we saw some some smaller but nice mule deer. But nothing to you know. For me, obviously, I'm not really at the point in my career where I'm looking for monsters. I'm kind of just, you know, happy with whatever at this point, to be honest with you. Um, but these guys, of course, you know, they're a little more experienced Western hunters. And they, they're looking for big animals. So we didn't see anything, you know, big enough that they wanted to kind of go after. So, um, you know, day one, we pretty much just glassed all day, drove around, checked out different areas in the unit, and, uh, and just kind of did general, uh, you know, glassing and exploring. Um, day two, actually, uh, we were on the glassy knob, me and Brad, Brian went to a different spot to glass and we were looking off, um, I think it would be the east side of the knob. And then I kind of just wandered over to the west side and actually, um, found a really nice, like five by six mule deer. And, um, and I called Brad over and, and we confirmed it was like a shooter, even for these guys. Um, really nice buck. I got some cool photos and video of him. Um, but, uh, after about, I don't know. 15 minutes or so of glassing him and kind of keeping tabs on where he was a uh, vehicle rolled by I mean pretty far away but you know you could tell this is a mature deer because most deer the vehicles don't bother him this guy when he heard the vehicle even though it was far away um, in the distance he he got out of there after he heard that so um, 
we didn't actually put any stocks on that day. Um, we did try to relocate that buck. Um, I personally never saw him again. I don't think we couldn't find him again the rest of that day. Um, but anyway, um, day three, um, that was, I believe that was Friday or Friday or Saturday. But anyway, we kind of, we kind of like, like the pressure thing that I mentioned earlier, we kind of changed up tactics on the weekend. So, um, like I said, as you'll see in a lot of public land places, as the weekend rolls in, you start to see more trucks, more guys, more pressure. Um, and most of that pressure is focused in the flats on the mule deer. It's easier terrain and, you know, a little easier deer to kill. So we kind of shifted gears and started hunting the coos deer on the weekend, which I think is a really good strategy if you guys are doing this hunt. Um, because we went to a, a new spot where we didn't see any mule deer, um, but we saw lots of nice coos deer and we pretty much had them to ourselves. I mean, you know, there were other vehicles kind of rolling through the general vicinity, but, um, we were able to hunt, um, pretty much three days in a row of like, I would say Boone and Crockett class coos deer, um, pretty much to ourselves. So, um, could be something you look into in terms of hunting the coos deer on the weekends. So, um, so this is where I really learned or the importance of good glass was reinforced to me. Um, I went out there with a set of 12s, their Vortex Diamondback 12 by 50s, decent, not great, but decent glass. And, um, you know, after putting in hours behind it, you really can tell, you know, you start to get the edge blur and um, you just, the, the imperfections start to come out more. And so, um, I would recommend, I thought the 12s were good, but you really need a tripod. Like if you're going to run 12s to real, I mean, you can quickly glass an area and quickly scan. If you really want to pick apart an area, I mean, and get really much detail, you need a tripod, a good tripod. I run two vets tripods. And actually, if you use the code HQ5, you can save 5% at two vets tripods. Um, super high quality, tough, rugged carbon fiber tripods. The one I personally recommend and actually helped develop is called the Ruck. And it's um, the smallest, lightest one they make, and it has a center column. So that's perfect for backcountry hunts. It's like two pounds, um, super solid, super rugged. Um, so yeah, use that code HQ5, save 5% on that. And um, two vets tripods, they're they're all, they're all quality. They have all the way up to like you know hardcore PRS tripods. But the one I use for backcountry hunts is called the Ruck tripod. No name, uh, the No Name Junior is also good, but has doesn't have a center column. Um, so the other thing is that somebody in camp had a pair of um, stabilized binoculars. I think it was. I think maybe Brian's dad had a pair or something, or I can't remember whose they were. Um, had just brought, I think they were Sig Sauer, um, stabilized binoculars, and they had a pair of 16s. And man, I'd never, those are game changers, let me just say. I mean, um, you could really glass without a tripod as well or better than I could with my 12s on a tripod. But um, mainly, you know, I was running the, um, the Vortex Diamondbacks. And um, Brian and Brad, 
they run loophole glass, um, which I, you know, I used their spotters a number of times, the loophole spotters, I'm not exactly sure which ones they are, forgive me, but um, the loophole glass is super nice, um, super high quality spotters. Um, so definitely um, consider loophole for, you know, binos and spotters. And you definitely wanna have a spotter as well. Um, you know, this much country and really having good glass, and really spending the time behind the glass really is kind of what one of the things that really set these guys apart as um, as better, I would say, than the other guys we saw out there hunting. Um, you know, some guys would kind of roll up and glass for a minute, and if the deer weren't obvious, they were rolling on. Whereas we would sit there for hours if we needed to until we turned something up, and sometimes it took hours, and sometimes, but. I think it was pretty much every single day we found a deer that was worth going after. So it just goes to show that having good glass and having the patience to put in the time behind it is huge on this hunt. Um, that's one of the things that set these guys apart, I think. Um, the other thing is having some kind of stalking shoe. Um, you know, from my background, I kind of thought maybe it was sort of an extra item or like, oh, do I really need those or not? Yeah, if you're trying to get within 50 yards of a mature coos deer, you ain't doing it in boots. I, I don't care. I mean, honestly, like, you need every advantage you can get. And so the ones I run are called Ancient, A-N-X-Y-N-T. A buddy of mine makes them out of Nevada. And um, they're actually really cool looking. Like, you can wear them as, like, casual wear shoes almost. But there's a leather moccasin. Uh, Brian and Brad run stockasins. But you need some kind of stalking shoe. I mean, it's crucial. Anytime, anytime we went on a stalk, we were wearing those things. And then Brian actually showed me too, he would take a knee-length sock, like a wool sock, and he cut the foot off, so it was just the calf section of the sock. And he would actually pull that over his calf on top of the um, stockasins, like a like a homemade gator, but instead of like a waterproof loud type material, it's it's wool. So that would cover you know the bottom of your shoe. Not only would it keep debris and cactuses and all kinds of junk out of in like stickers and whatever out of your socks, it would also keep your pants around your leg lower leg tight. And um, you know it's such a cliche. People everything wants to stick you and prick you out there, but it's true. And so, I mean, you're constantly walking through thorns and briars and all kinds of stuff. So it can be really loud. So having that calf section of like a wool sock as like a gaiter um, was also huge. So we wear those, the stocking shoes. And then Brian even would actually put a pair of wool socks over his stockasins to even give it an extra layer of, of, you know, dampening to make it even quieter. And so... I mean, it's funny, he, he looked like a ninja walking around. He had like, you know, uh, it was funny. I, I called him the desert ninja, but um, it, you, you need those. Like, I mean, you need every advantage you can get. And you cannot cheat the wind. Don't even, tr like, don't even try. You might as well stay in camp and, like, make some s'mores if you're going to stalk with the wind at your back. Like, don't even try it. Um, and, well, I want to get into stalking more here because that's, that's a big deal. Well, I'll just go into it. You know, we we saw a lot of guys from a distance through our glass um, stalking, and <laughs> they were not getting it done because 
to in order to get it done on these deer, um, even for me, I mean, it was it was eye opening. I mean, they take stalking to a new level. You know, when I say go out on a stalk, you might be thinking, as I was thinking heading into this hunt, you know, maybe a, I mean, an hour or two hour long at the most kind of ordeal. No. These guys would find a deer and would spend six, eight hours, if not more if they needed it, getting into position on these deer. I mean, it's next level. And that's what you have to be to kill these things. We would see these guys through the glass, you know, a mile or so off or whatever, and um, they'd just be kind of, I mean, they'd be trying to sneak, but walking pretty much upright, you know, not really being careful about whether placing your feet. I mean, you really have to, and Brian was showing me like almost doing like a one-legged squat, like putting all your weight on one foot and like gently, like slowly putting your foot down before you even put weight on it to kind of check the, the noise and then like shifting weight onto it. I mean, that's probably one of the biggest things I learned from this trip is to be successful with an archery tackle on, on these animals, like you gotta take your stealthiness to like another level. Um, you know, he, Brian was telling me like stuff that he'd heard from Ryan about like, you wanna move like the hour hand on a clock, like move, you know, if you think you're going slow, go slower and then go slower than that. Like, and these guys do, I mean, um, you just, I can't overstate enough, like, how slow they move at times, and, um, because you just can't, you can't get anything over on these deer, so, um, the first, or that third day, Brad, um, spotted a nice coos deer, so we, um, he spotted it, he was gonna go hunt it, I was running camera behind him, and, um, we, we spent, I'd say, from 11 a.m. till just about dark. Um, and we did get into about 40 yards of this deer, and then something happened. The wind shifted. They smelled us and got out. Um, so, you know, be prepared for, you know, day-long ordeals um, with these stalks. I mean, other thing, too, is the, the temperature fluctuations out there are crazy. I mean, you know, in January, we'd be up on a hillside. The sun would come out. You'd be kind of in a in a saddle or something, and you'd be sweating. It'd be hot, and then you know the cloud might roll over, and then you're in kind of a more windy spot, and you're freezing to death. So you want to make sure you got a good layering system on these stalks. I found you know it's good to have you know I was carrying like a frame backpack, but it's good to have like a like a day bag for this kind of thing that you can take on a stalk because, like I said, these stalks are day-long ordeals so you'd want to take your puffies um you know an emergency snack even um you know i was even a couple times wishing i had like headphones to like listen to an audiobook or something when, when we were kind of resting in between moving um which might sound crazy but i mean it's a whole day thing so be prepared um you know have have some water if you can um and just be prepared for like a, a day-long ordeal on these things. Actually, this is kind of one thing that I um, thought about when I was up there um, because, you know, when we set off on this stock, me and Brad, 
you know, I was thinking, like I said, that we'd be on the mountain for an hour or two, three or something, you know? Um, so I didn't have, I did bring my pack with me, but we dropped our packs like fairly early on. Um, while we were still well kind of out of range with the deer and so I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a snack, I didn't have water, I didn't have extra jacket, anything like that. And, um, and we ended up like, we didn't basically didn't eat or drink anything all day. Um, and so, you know, on the way out, I was, I was listening to the comfort crisis by Michael Easter, um, which is a good book. Um, and I don't, I didn't finish it. You know, I only finished like the first chapter or two so far, but um, you know, something I was thinking about when I was up there, cause I was, I mean, there was one point where the wind was on me really heavy. We were kind of exposed in this like rocky outcropping and, um, I was hungry and, um, and I actually, I was like really cold. I was starting to get really cold and, um, and I was just kind of having that mental battle of just kind of staying focused, staying in the game, you know, not complaining or whatever. Um, or, you know, not internally complaining. And I just, the thought occurred to me, like, um, you know, I feel like a lot of our, our problems as a society, as a culture, as individuals come from, and I think this is a lot of what the book talks about, although I didn't remember, I don't know if this specific thing is in the book, but, um, this kind of just occurred to me is like, if your baseline is like excessive comfort, so, like, if your normal, average baseline is, like, always perfectly ideal temperature, always perfectly well-fed, you know, just comfortable, like, baseline all the time, um, you know, adversity is going to seem really, really tough. Um, any discomfort is going to seem very, you know, earth-shattering. So, but the, you know... And I think that also leads to, um, you know, drug use or alcohol abuse or um, any other kind of like compulsive behavior. Um, but if you can purposely get yourself out of your comfort zone and do hard things, you know, um, and kind of move your baseline further away from excessive comfort, um, things just get easier. Um, and actually, I wrote. When I was up on the mountain, I, it kind of hit me. I feel like I may have articulated it a little better, but um, let's see. Yeah, if your baseline is comfort all the time, then you will seek... Oh, here, yeah, here's a point I missed. So if your baseline is comfort all the time, you will seek extreme comfort. So if normal is... Like, everyday normal baseline is very comfortable... In order to get like relaxation or like to seek that comfort, you're going to seek what I would call extreme comfort, which could be euphoria, which could be drug use, alcohol use, you know, other addictions. Um, but if you can move your baseline closer to discomfort, then normal comfortable activities like just eating a meal or hanging out with a friend or putting on a sweatshirt. Um, will be more pleasurable. So let me say that again. So if your baseline of everyday existence is comfort and you never do anything any everything uncomfortable, you will seek extreme comfort for relaxation, which would mean like euphoria 
or um, drunkenness or, you know, being high or, um, you know, overstimulation, etc. But if you can move your baseline further from that back to a norm, more normal state of like, you know, doing uncomfortable things, you will actually get more pleasure out of normal things like, you know, eating a meal or, like I said, putting a sweatshirt on, hanging out with a friend. So that's something I just kind of thought about when I was up there on the mountain, like freezing cold and hungry and tired. Um, so I hope that makes sense. Um, uh, another just like random gear thing that I noticed Brad had, he had this grunt tube that like had an elastic band on it that would go on his arm. And so that way, like if he were able to get to full draw and need to like hit a grunt tube, it was right there, which I thought was a pretty cool little, little hack, if you want to call it that. Um, so anyway, uh, moving on from that. So yeah, like I said, we, we spent all day on those deer. I got some, a little bit of footage. Um, those coos deer are so tough, man. Um, and just the wind switched like that for a second. They caught a whiff and they were out. Um, but I really gained a ton of respect for Brad as a hunter on that stock. Um, just his knowledge and his patience and toughness. Um, he's a good hunter. Brad, Brad Hunt is a good hunter. And so shout out to Brad. Um, so day four is the next day. Um, we, again, we're pretty much all alone. Again, we were able to put, uh, put eyes on a very nice coos deer. Um, I think it may have actually been the same one. I think, yeah, we relocated that same buck on, he's on the same hill on Okatia. The coos deer love Okatia. Side note, um, he was on the same hillside. They were rutting pretty good. I got some cool footage of him making some scrapes and chasing a doe around. And today was Brian's turn. Um, and that day, Brian actually managed to get inside of 40 yards on this thing twice, which, again, like, to me, even getting in bow range of one of these coos deer is an accomplishment. Killing one is like the next level. I mean, um, and, and both of these guys have killed coos deers out there with bow. Um, but, you know, it's just really tough. Um, I was going to say something like lost my train of thought there. Um, oh, yeah. Another thing that Brian kind of mentioned and kind of talked about was he calls it counting coup. Or like if you're familiar with the Old Testament there's um, the part where King Saul is chasing after David to try to kill him. And David finds him in a cave going to the bathroom. And David's able to sneak up and like cut off a piece of his robe um, to prove that he was there, but didn't kill King Saul. There's another time I think that he walked up on King Saul and he was asleep and, and did not kill him. Um, so the Native Americans had a phrase for that called counting coup, uh, which basically and I call it like a um a King David stalk is what I would call it. Basically when's like you get in range where you could have killed the person or in this case animal um but you didn't. And so, you know, Brian was saying like and I totally agree like if you're able to get in range of these animals, that's a successful stalk. If you're able to get and if you're able to get to in range of these animals and you don't kill because maybe they walked off the other way or didn't go through your shooting lane or it got dark or, um, or even the, you know, you had to back out just getting in range and not scaring, not busting the animal out. That's a successful stalk. So that's something that I learned. And you know, something he talks a lot about that he learned from Ryan is 
a lot of guys will, will try to push it too hard and try to like force their way into a shot on one of these animals. Like to get in range and then to try to figure out how to move into position to get the shot on the animal. When actually these things are so cagey, um, if you want to kill a mature one with a bow, really a lot of times your best bet is get in bow range of the thing in a good position and wait. Wait for the thing to get up, to come your direct, and he might not. Like, you might spend four, five, six, seven days chasing the same animal. Uh, you might be in bow range with him a half a dozen times before he finally makes a mistake and walks in your shooting lane. And that's, that's how a lot of these guys have success on these animals, uh, is not forcing the issue. I almost like liken it to like hockey, you know, um, it's not always about like, you know, taking the puck in and, and making an awesome shot and, and making the goal. Sometimes it's just about getting the puck like in the vicinity of the goal, just like lobbing the puck down there. And then eventually you lob the puck down there enough times, eventually it's going to end up in the goal. Kind of like with soccer too. It's kind of like that. It's like, you want to get undetected into this thing's living room as many times as you can, and eventually he's going to walk to the fridge, and he's going to walk right by you, and you're going to kill him. Whereas if you try to walk straight up to him while he's laying there asleep, I mean, he's going to bust you. So there's a fine line between aggressiveness and passiveness that kills the buck, and Brian kept saying patience kills the buck. Um, I know not everybody has the time, but um, if you can just if you can just slip into range, not get busted, and be patient, even if it takes days, that's that's how these really successful hunters get it done. That's kind of one of my probably maybe the biggest takeaway. Just get in there. If you're counting coup, you're winning. Or you know if you're doing a King David stalk. So that was a good day. You only said Brian got in bow range twice. Didn't work out. Brad spent, God, he probably put in 10, 11 hours behind the glass. Um, again, just really impressed with his work ethic and his skills and patience and toughness and never complained or anything about it. Um, and then, you know, of course it goes without saying, you know, you want to protective clothing with the sun, um, you know, a glassing pad. Um, Brian, Stealthy Hunter and Gritty, they have a glassing pad that's, that's nice that we used. Um, Probably seems obvious, but you obviously do not want to skyline yourself ever. And um, you want to stick to the shaded areas, you know, as much as you can. Again, that might be obvious, but I thought it's worth saying. Uh, when you're in the sun or you're skylined, you are standing out big time. And, you know, with a mule deer, if you stay still and stay low, you can probably get away with it nine times out of ten. With a coos deer, no. Even if you're completely still, if they see something weird, they're gone. So... <clears throat> yeah, just keep that in mind. Um, day five, um, we went back after coups. We were not able to locate that buck again. That was kind of our plan, was try to find that buck again. We were not able to find him. Um, and, you know, we were we were just kind of, we split up. Um, we were all glass in different areas. Um, it got to be about 11.30 or 12, and I, I got on the radio. I was like, hey, you know, you guys want to go check out, see if we can find a mule deer? Um, or just kind of check out a different spot, what's going on. And, um, and eventually, you know, it had been half the day. Uh, it just goes to show again that patience pays off behind the glass. 
got a message from Brad. He had found another really nice, mature, big coos deer, a new one in a different area and a good stockable location. So spent the rest of the day, Brad got in again, got into bow range of this thing. Weren't able to close the deal, but um, got some great film. And um, again, it was pretty much a success just getting in bow range of these things. So um, let's see. So just, yeah, make sure you're looking long and hard and, and, and patient behind the glass. Uh, let's see. So day six, we went back. It was, I think that was a Tuesday. Um, it was a long weekend. It was a three-day weekend. So we went back after the mule deers on that Tuesday. And um, Brian was able to turn up a big muley he wanted to go chase after. And, you know, we spent basically the whole day trying to get that, that deer. But what happens, as can often happen, um, the, <laughs> the deer kind of disappeared into a spot. And, and me and Brad thought that's where he was. We kind of directed Brian to get over there. And he positioned himself. Um, like I mentioned before, he was patient, positioned himself within bow range, you know, took the time getting in there, getting in there right. Uh, but it turns out that the deer just slipped out, just kind of gave us a slip and we never saw him leave the area. And, you know, deer can do that. So um, then, you know, get to day seven. And this was my last day. Um, it wasn't supposed to be my last day, but I actually had to move my flight two days early because we had a big winter storm forecasted for my area where I live. Um, you know, a big winter storm for us is a few inches, but you know, even the, the, um, airline was messaging me, telling me that, you know, my travel plans were going to be changed and messed up. So I did not, and <laughs> I had the day after I was supposed to get back, I'd promised my son like months ago that we would go to Monster Jam. I got him tickets to go see Monster Jam in my hometown. And he's been talking about it for months and would have just been devastated if we missed it. So I was not messing around with that. I moved my ticket a little early so I didn't get stuck in an airport or anything like that. Um, you know, it never like leaving early, but you know, sometimes you just got to, you know, family's important and I didn't want to get stuck in an airport and miss Monster Jam with my son. So I, can't, I, left, I left two days early, but day seven, that was my last day. The guys knew it was my last day and they wanted to help me get my first archery mule deer. So um, we all split up different, uh, different ways. Um, I think it was about nine or so. Um, Brad, I talked to Brad and he had found a little, uh, little fork horn that, um, that he said was in a good spot. So, um, called Brian and, um, and he said, yeah, let's go for it. Let's kill this thing. So, um, so I grabbed my stuff, um, headed down to where Brian was, met up with Brian. We packed up and it's such a team effort killing these deer. Like, um, I don't, <laughs> I'm sure there are guys that can kill them solo, but it would be just really tough. I mean, so what we did was we, um, me and Brian went up to a spot. So Brad was here. He could see the buck down in a, um, a little cut. But he was headed into an area where he was going to lose him. So me and, Brad, I mean, Brian booked it up to a, another ridge about here. And the just in time, the deer bedded down right behind, right into a cut that, Bri, that Brad could not see. We got there just in time to see him bed down. All you could see was literally just the top of his head. So we're sitting there, I'm, you know, marking his location. I'm keeping eyes on him like a hawk. 
meanwhile, Brad is coming down his mountain, back around up to where we are, so he can get eyes on the thing, and then we can go around the other ridge and stalk in from behind this thing. So like I said, it's a huge team effort. And these guys, you know, they gave up their whole day of hunting to help me try to kill this, what to them would be a tiny little, you know, small buck. But to me, as my first archery mule deer, it would have been, you know, awesome. So, um, you know, and I told them when I was there, but I just want to say thanks again to those guys for, you know, for they both were putting in, like, solid effort to try to get me this, this deer. And so it was cool. And uh, so anyway, me and Brian go around and we're, you know, we're gearing up. I'm getting my bow, get my stockus, my uh, ancient moccasins on and my leg gaiters and get my bow ready. And Brian's getting the camera ready. And I just had this moment of like, wow, this is cool. You know, I mean, um, I just started the podcast a year ago and, um, you know, to be honest, Gritty and Brian's work has always been a big inspiration to me. Like I, I really like his stuff. Um, I've been a, you know, I've been a fan of his, and so to to be sitting there getting my bow ready to go on a stalk and, and look over and have Brian call getting his camera ready to film me, I was just like, wow, like God is good. This is really cool. And I remember when I started off the podcast being like, you know, one of these days I'm gonna be hunting with these guys. I just I just said it and um, you know, I believe words have power and God is good and um, I just kinda had a moment of like, wow, this is cool. Like I'm I'm getting ready to go on a stalk. Brian Call is with me, he's filming me, like um, this is just really cool. So anyway, um, just want to share that with you guys and, um, just encourage you that, um, you know, if you put in the work and, um, you know, especially if you know the Lord, um, you know, good things, good things can happen. Just, um, keep after it, you know, go after your dreams and whatnot, even though it's probably cliche, but you know, just go for it. So, um, anyway, um, so we're getting ready. Um, you know, I don't want to bore you with all the details. Um, we, we were able to sneak in to about 100 yards, um, and they kind of moved. They kind of moved directions, and we were able to re you know reposition on them. There's a little bit of miscommunication as to where the deer were, um, and then we were kind of like walking, and we look up, and the the buck is kind of up on a ridge, just like staring at us, and we're like, oh man, you know, we're busted. And if it had been a coos deer we completely would have been. I mean, it would have been like no second thought, no hesitation. But since it was a young muley, it was curious. And so Brian says, you know, I bet if we just like casually walk away and don't act like we're sneaking, we just kind of like walk away, he might stay there. So that was a cool little point. So we did that. So he kind of got up and he was like, you know, purposefully walking, you know, swinging his arms around. And we walked away out of sight of this thing and then we kind of, as soon as we kind of went under where he couldn't see us in this cut, we ducked down, snuck around, and Brian was able to range the, so the buck was on a, like a little knob right here, and there's another knob right here, and he was able to range, they're about 50, 60 yards apart. He's like, if we can get to this knob right here, we can probably get a shot at this thing. So we snuck up, sure enough, lo and behold, we get behind this bush on this ridge, and that buck is still standing there just looking. And... Um, so anyway, yeah, I'll just be totally honest with you guys. I, I made a rookie mistake, man. We we got in. He ranged the buck. It was at 60 yards. We were behind a bush. But he was staring right at us pretty much. I mean, um, and I, I just made a rookie mistake, guys. I did. I um, He said, Hunter, come on. And he was expecting me to, you know, 
basically belly crawl up and, and kind of draw my bow and just be really slow and methodical. And um, like I said, I just made a rookie mistake. I moved too fast. I took a step. I took for granted the amount of cover that this bush was giving us. I kind of thought um, that we were concealed more than we were, but behind us, which I didn't know, we were skylined. And anyway, I took a step to try to get into position way too fast. Um, and the deer saw me and he, he, he booked. So that was disappointing, but you know, I might've actually learned more from not killing that deer, to be honest with you. You know, there's no such thing as failure. It's just learning, you know? And, um, and, and Brian was so cool about it. Like he wasn't like, you know, we, we, we put in some good effort and some time getting in on this thing and I blew it at the end basically. He wasn't upset at all. He was totally cool about it. And he actually spent about 30 minutes um, just kind of showing me what I should have done and how I could have done it better and, and really using it as a teaching moment. It was it was awesome, man. Like, um, you know, shout out to Brian. He's a great dude. Um, you know, like I said, he's, he spent like 30 minutes and, and just we even did some practice reps of like he showed me exactly what he would have done. And how I should do it next time, and like I even you know did a couple right there, you know sneaking up on my knees, slowly drawing the bow, then taking another step on my knees, you know, um, and it was a really cool teaching moment, and I learned a lot from the experience, and and was you know grateful for Brian for um, for for showing me that stuff and, and being really cool about it. So so it was a it was a cool like little moment there, and you know we kind of bonded and um, and. Uh, so yes, I was disappointed that I didn't kill the buck. It would have been glorious uh, to fill my tag, but at the same time, it was a really good experience. Like I said, good learning moment, um, and and it was cool. So after that, you know, we headed back, and um, so and I had to leave the next day. So you know, as far as filling tags, um, you know, you could say it was not a successful hunt, but it was a successful hunt because I always knew going into this that. Being able to, to kill a deer, even to really get a shot or even a stalk on a deer, would be icing on the cake. I was going out to meet these guys to see if we could work together more, uh, to see if we got along well, um, you know, and just to see if it would work out professionally. And from that, and get to know them, you know, and from that uh, respect, it was a complete success. We, we had a great time. Um, you know, I consider those guys friends now. Like I said, I think we're going to be doing some more partnerships moving forward. Um, with me as a contributor and also um, doing some more hunts together in the future. So, um, you know, from a professional standpoint and a relational standpoint, total success. Um, would I have liked to kill that deer? Yes, but I learned a ton. I learned a ton about hunting in general, about bow hunting, about hunting the desert, about uh, coos deer, about mule deer, about, I even learned, you know, more stuff about filming and how he kind of does things, which is super helpful for me. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a successful trip and it was it was really cool. So, um, I'm trying to see if there's any other things here. So, okay, just a couple um, really quick gear things and then I'll be done rambling. But um, so I wore um, Kuyu Katana stretch woven pants, I believe they're called. But I know they're called Katana. Uh, great pants. Uh, they have side vents, po uh, enough pockets, um, durable enough stretch but not too much I literally wore them every single day um, under them I have the Kuyu zip off um, long johns um, scree gear makes them as well 
Merino long johns, they zip completely off. So you can take them off without taking your boots off or taking your pants off. You have to unbuckle your pants, but I started off every day with those things on and would usually remove them, but some days I wore them all day. Um, but those Katana pants are awesome. I wore them every single day. Um, as far as a top, I just wore a Merino or sometimes a synthetic t-shirt and a um, Black Ovis um, 150-gram merino one-fourth zip hoodie so black ovis if you don't know about them um they make great stuff um their merino hoodies are about 30 to 40 maybe 50 bucks cheaper than the kuyu ones and uh i think they're just as good maybe better i think they're actually a little thicker so they have a lightweight and a heavyweight i have one of each definitely recommend Black Ovis stuff. They make puffies as well. They make a lot of good... Black Ovis has a lot of really good stuff coming out lately. and um, So check out Black Ovis. And, you know, the quality's there, and it's it's cheaper than, like, a name brand, I guess. But So I, I wore that um, Black Ovis Merino hoodie every single day, the lightweight one. Uh, my boots... Um, I actually wore Solomon Quests on this trip because I knew it was going to be a dry hunt. Um, they did great. No complaints there. Um my shelter I had my um Hilleberg Namaj 2 GT because it's a base camp type hunt bigger tent huge vestibule super comfortable um let's see puffies always uh my broadheads I ran from a tip from Dan Staten um Grim Reaper Micro Hades three blades um they fly pretty well you know I tested them out versus my normal just 100 grain muzzy three blade broadhead. To be honest, um, I didn't see a whole lot of difference. They might have been a little more, they might have flown a little bit more consistently, a little more accurately than the muzzies, but not much, honestly. So I would still recommend the muzzy three blades. Um, the Grim Reapers are good as well, but that's what I was running was the um, muzzies. Um, again, two vets tripods, use that code HQ5. Um, save 5% on a killer tripod. Um, you know, I drank a ton of Black Rifle coffee on this trip. Um, so you can also use um, the code. I'll put it in the description field, but I believe it's Hunter's Quest 20. Save 20% on your first order at Black Rifle Coffee. They have instant coffee and they have coffee bags, which are great for this type of hunt. Boil your water, throw your coffee bag in, good to go. Um, and it's really good coffee. So, um, and please use my codes. I'll put them in the description field. Um, Hunter's Quest 20 at Black Rifle save 20%. It helps me out. Um, and then, you know, as always, Heather's Choice snacks and meals. Um, I have a discount, discount code with them as well. Check the description field um, and get some Heather's Choice. It's good stuff. I'm going to do a full uh, hunting season recap in the next two or three weeks. I'm going to go over all my gear, everything I learned from hunting antelope, Sitka blacktail, coos and mule deer this year. Uh, I learned a lot. Uh, also, my elk hunt with Dan, I learned a lot about elk hunting. I learned a lot about videography, gear, backcountry hunting in general. I learned a ton this year, picked up a lot of stuff. I want to share all that with you, and I'm going to do that in the next couple weeks um, as, I, as I do that. Also, if you're going to be at Western Hunt Expo in Salt Lake City, in mid-February, I will be there. Uh, look me up. Let's link up. Um, send me a message on Instagram at the Hunter's Quest, um, and let's let's link up at the Western Hunt Expo if you're gonna be there. Um, so yeah, 
just want to say thanks again for all your support. Hope you guys enjoyed this recap. I'm going to have Brad Hunt on as well in the next couple weeks to talk about the hunt and talk about a successful sheep hunt he had in Idaho this last year. But um, it's going to be a great year. I know I keep hammering this, but please subscribe to the YouTube channel because um, my Kodiak film series is going to start coming out mid-February. And this year um, is going to be an amazing year for creating content with a podcast and just tons of... Um, more video series coming out of my hunts this year. Really excited. Keep me in prayer. Um, you know, keep sharing with friends and thank you for all your support and I'll see you guys on the next episode.